Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. This is episode 131, and today we'll be talking sports production with former Senior Director of Content and Presentation from the San Diego Padres, Mr. Matt Coy, who I met back in November at the Video TX Conference in Houston, Texas. It was kind of a gathering of people who work in sports production, specifically for minor league baseball. And Matt was there as one of the guest speakers and really got to hear his story about working not just for the Padres, but he's worked for the Dallas Cowboys, the Olympics, and he tells all of those stories plus more on today's podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. But before we get to that, I have to tell you guys about our brand new sponsor, Audible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. And they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. They have books such as uh, Lord of the Rings, Divergent, Star Wars, Aragon, uh, Percy Jackson. So many great series and individual books as well. And again, to download your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Matt Coy. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, Mr. Matt Coy. Matt, how are you, sir? Derek, great. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. I know we we didn't really get a chance to talk at the uh, the Video TX conference that we were at, but um, I did want to start off by asking. You know, we we both work in in baseball. That was really kind of the first um, video conference that that I had been to. Really, first sports conference that I had been to. Uh, how was your time at it? It was great. I mean, uh, you know, all the guys down at the uh, Corpus Christi Hooks did a great job. And when they reached out and asked me if I could participate, I was very excited just because uh, I'm also on the board of another conference that's sort of um, the bigger conference for all of sports, uh, the IDEA conference. IDEA does a yearly conference during the MLB All-Star break every year. And so I've been on the board there for a couple of years, and I've been the host uh, for a couple of conferences in the cities that I worked. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely a big proponent of that type of thing. And the conference that they threw together for minor league baseball teams was really, really well done. And it was really cool being in Houston at the Astros ballpark. And uh, it was a lot of fun to meet everybody. Yeah, I think, you know, we, there's promo seminar and there's all other types of conferences, but not really one for the stuff like we do, like the video stuff. And it was cool getting to pick everybody's brain and see, you know, well, how, how do you do this? Or what in-between inning things do you do? It, it was just cool bouncing ideas. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed all the breakout sessions. Those were a lot of fun to me. Yeah, definitely. That's always, you know, usually where you can connect with people the most and learn those little tricks of the trade that really are key for, you know, advancing your career, but also advancing your show. I mean, that's what it's all about, too, is making sure that our show is always the best of the best and trying to get better every single day and every every season so uh you know those those type of breakouts about different things about our industry and things we don't get to talk to too many people about because there's only so many of us so no absolutely now i know you you work for the san diego padres are you from the west coast yeah i grew up in uh the san francisco bay area i'm from cupertino california which is the home of apple computer and uh, we used to joke, you know, pretty much nothing else. Now it's the home of a lot of other little startups and crazy things. But still, it's pretty much just Apple Computer and nothing else. Um, the town has definitely changed a lot since I grew up there when Apple was in this little building that was their first little office. And uh, some of our friends, older, you know, siblings, uh, my best friend's older brother worked there when it was just, you know, like 20 people. Um, so, you know, it's, it's amazing what that uh, whole Silicon Valley has become. So growing up there was uh, definitely very cool and fun, but uh, now it's just a whole different ballgame up there. Now, growing up, were you interested in, like, sports and, you know, video type stuff? Like, what were some of the things that you were into growing up? 
Yeah, I got in this business really young. I uh, I played sports all growing up, and so that's you know my love of sports. Definitely playing baseball, soccer. Parents never let me play football, but uh, messed around with little street hockey and other things, and basketball, volleyball. Just tried everything. Um, but then when I was seven, my dad um, had his best friend that uh, had went to San Jose State in radio, TV, film and just got into cable access television in the 80s and there was just a need for a lot of content and the cities wanted you to produce things for them and so they started producing local sports and eventually uh, by the time I was eight or nine they got a Winnebago uh, from a buddy and turned it into a production truck and then by the time I was 10 they were throwing me on camera after just being like you know a little PA runner you know I held the uh, huge umatic uh, tape decks on my shoulder, um, different things like that. But by the time I was 10, I was doing like high 50 camera for football games. I can't even imagine that. Like I, I even like you know doing baseball when I have to step in and do you know high home camera. I can't imagine you know being 10 and running camera for football. That's nuts. Well, luckily, you know, when you're high 50 in football, you just sort of pan left and pan right wherever all <laughs> the true. little guys go on your screen. So there was definitely not a lot of zooming or, you know, they set the focus for me and, you know, you just sort of make sure you keep all the guys in the screen sort of deal. But eventually, you know, I mean, starting out that young, eventually by the time I was like 12 or 13, I had started helping out and learning like tape, replay, like switching and stuff. Um, and that's when I was like, you know, really thinking, oh, I want to do this. Like, this is cool. This is fun. And I want to be the director of, you know, Hockey Night, um, ESPN Sunday Night Hockey and, like, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball and, like, do that all year round. So that's what, you know, sort of my passion was growing up and did all the, uh, you know, I was the video geek that always had the camcorder um, and did a lot of taping of, you know, school stuff, but but then did all that on the side, too. So uh, by the time I got my first internship, it was like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then and then I uh, interned with uh, NBC affiliate in San Francisco, and we did uh, Raiders and A's games, and it was just like I was in a semi-trailer truck, you know, for broadcast out in a parking lot with, you know, it was just, it was not what I expected. So, you know, some people love that. I was like, why am I in this trailer with these five people, like, every day all year, and, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's that exotic and that's why when I interned, um, I went to school at San Diego State, and I interned with the Chargers and Padres and did Jumbotron in-game stuff. And that was, like, that was cool because you were in the stadium and you were having fun and people cheered for your videos. And, you know, so then I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. <laughs> no, I, I, can, I can totally understand that. Uh, I was looking over your on your LinkedIn all of your, your jobs that you've done, which is a, a pretty extensive list. Um, some notes that I made that I, I wanted to ask you about. How was it working? You worked utility for uh, the Men's World Cup, 96 Summer Olympics, and also for ESPN and MLS. It, being a utility, like what were your roles in, in those various events? Well, I got really good at being a cable puller. Uh, you know, over-under was something that, uh, you know, I made sure I, I knew from the first time this uh, huge guy uh, that trained me that was uh, we were doing football and like I screwed up and it like pulled him back and uh, he was a big dude that my camera op that I was following and he chewed my butt out and so I made sure after that I knew how to over under with the best of them and you know cable tension relief and all that stuff and so you know once I got good at that you know after the first couple times of him yelling at me you know that's that's what I was doing, I was doing cable pulling and, you know, I mean, it's not really that glamorous, but yet you're still doing awesome stuff and you're down on the field. Most of the time I was a field cam cable puller. So, you know, you're down in the field while this awesome game is going on and you're not running the camera. You're just watching the camera guys. So you're making sure that he's okay or she's okay. But really it's like, it's still awesome because you get to watch the, the game as it goes on. No, absolutely. And kind of going off of that and, and something that, you know, I tell our staff when we have our game day meetings, we're all little cogs in one big machine and we all have to work, you know, we all have to work in sync. We all have to really, you know, do our job for the whole show to be a success. So, for example, you, 
being a cable runner, if you don't roll the cable right or it gets tangled, then your camera guy could get caught on it and you know misses a, a really good shot or a necessary shot. So, to me, like no job is you know too big or too small when it comes to like the overall game day presentation. Yeah, very true. And I mean that really that finally. I don't know how to say it. It really was the epitome of that when um, I was at the Dallas Cowboys before I was here at the Padres for the five years I was at Dallas. You know, we grew that, um, I can't say we, it was really just me for the first couple of years, and then I finally got a couple more employees. But, um, you know, I, I grew that game day staff, and by the time I left, we had close to 485 people working each game day. Wow. So, I mean... You know, it's it's amazing that um, you know there can be that many of us all putting on a show. But you know, that's that's a lot of people doing a lot of things, a lot of things that most people don't see. Like you know, there's a ton of people back of house there. Um, so from the cable puller to the director to the producer to the on-air talent to the DJ to the organist to the band to the cheerleaders to you know the rigger to the spotlight op. You know, there's so many different options um, and so many different positions, and each one of them is key. I mean, you know, every piece of, of the puzzle is really, you know, um, unique, but so so much a part of the bigger picture that, you know, everybody needs to be the, you know, best of the best, hopefully, and get that show where you want it to be. Absolutely. You mentioned the Dallas Cowboys, and you worked there for for five years. What was were you doing all the video content for the Cowboys? Yeah, I oversaw um, all game day, but I didn't oversee their production because they had a broadcasting department that had five TV shows and four radio shows, and uh, then they also had a web department that did uh, everything for the website, and then their social media department. So. I was just one of the many sort of marketing departments, um, and really it was just me uh, my first year, and then me and one other employee my second year, and then we eventually, I like added an employee every year, so by the end I had five employees. Um, but I didn't have any actual video production staff. I wasn't allowed to, I was supposed to go through the broadcasting uh, department the whole time, or really I outsourced the most, because our broadcasting department was very busy. So I outsourced a ton that, uh, you know, pretty much. 90% of the content on the big screen at Cowboys was all outsourced. Is the stadium as big as it looks on television? Yes, yes, for <laughs> sure. I mean, but now there's so many of these big stadiums that are just so amazing. Like, I want to go to Minnesota so bad, I can't wait to go to Atlanta. Oh, man. Uh, when L.A. opens, it'll be unreal. But, yeah, no, I mean, from uh, the others that I've been to, uh, from Super Bowls and just visiting, you know, like, it, it's amazing. It blows other ones out of the water. I mean, Arizona, New York, um, you know, I haven't been to Miami since they upgraded, but, you know, it's like it's just such, as soon as you step on the property, it's just amazing. You're just amazed the whole time you're there. And really, it was just so funny because the big screen is the primary amazement for, you know, everybody. And our uh, unofficial, you know, I mean, we did a lot of surveys, um, but, you know, our return on the surveys and what we usually would look at was, you know, about 85, like 80 to 85 percent of the people in the stadium at one time were always staring at the screen, which is, a, you know, something that doesn't happen in football. Football screens are always out of the way. You know, baseball is out in the outfield. But, you know, it's not like your whole, unless you're in an arena, your whole uh, fan base can't look at a, uh, a screen in baseball or football, but the Cowboys did it, you know, on the center hung, and it's gargantuan, and you just stare at the thing nonstop. I mean, you watch a game, a Cowboys game, and you just see every player, everybody on the field, no matter where anybody is, they're just staring at the, the screen. Yeah, I remember the first game they did there, I just remember thinking how huge their their board was. Like, it, you can't not pay attention to it because it's so big. And funny thing about uh, Atlanta, because I remember we saw the um, the mock-ups of the new stadium when Daktronics did their presentation at Video TX. I was in Atlanta a couple of weekends ago, and uh, I was at a, like a, a comic convention that was two buildings down from where they're building the new stadium. That place is going to be amazing. Like, it's just so huge. And they've really only just now started putting the like the sides up. 
but like all the framework is there and everything and it, it just from that alone it looks awesome yeah it's unbelievable i have a good friend that runs things out there uh, pete soto that came over from uh, the florida panthers a couple years ago now and about a year and a half ago now and and just when i do talk to him like it's amazing like just how crazy they are with everything just on a day-to-day basis with the team but then you're like oh you're building this new stadium that you have to go over and check on all the time and and now they're getting to the point where they're going to start hanging the board and then testing the board and you know when they open it's going to be unreal to have that huge just big circle of video board like just programming for that is going to be crazy but yet still it's in the roof so it's way it's really high for anybody on the field or any you know all those low seats to look at, but they're still all going to look up because it's going to be so cool. But yet, that's the thing with Jerry and the center hung. It was low enough where you could still look up and not like really get a bad crank in your neck that, you know, it's like everybody just looks at that screen all the time. No, right, right. And a thing that blew my mind when during the Dactronics presentation is when they said if you took the, the circular video board and you laid it out flat, that thing is going to be over a thousand feet long. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's it's awesome though. It's like you know, it's so cool for our industry. No, absolutely, absolutely. And another thing that I wanted to bring up: you were a producer for the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. A question that I wanted to ask, what does a producer for, like, a sports program do, especially, like, a live sports show? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like, so I've worked in different capacities with the Olympics, and, you know, for anybody out there that wants to work in the Olympics, that, you know, is a big dream for a lot of people in sports because it is an amazing event to work. It's just it is the biggest event in the world, no matter what the NFL says with the Super Bowl. The Olympics is still huge. The World Cup is still huge, you know. Um, but the Olympics is every country. Like, the World Cup is only, like, you know, 32 countries. Like, so so the Olympics is just unreal to be a part of. But it's interesting because what a lot of people don't understand is, so say the next Winter Olympics is in uh, South Korea. And I, I'm going to butcher the name. I think it's Pyongyang, South Korea. Well, so when Korea was awarded the Olympics almost seven years ago now, the government then creates a company, and that company is who runs the actual Olympics because that government can't run the Olympics because then people would think, oh, well, then South Korea is going to, like, fix everything, and they're going to, you know, they're going to win. Um, so they have to form a nonprofit company that then is run by the government, like paid for by the government, but it's called an OCOG, an Olympic Organizing Committee. So the sort of, you know, different options you have to work in Olympics, you can work for the Olympic Broadcasting System company, which is based out of Madrid, Spain. And they were a private vendor conglomeration that sort of merged together and the International Olympic Committee in Switzerland said, you know, we should put all this together and we should have a broadcasting service. And so that's the world feed, as it's termed, where when you go to the Olympics and say you go to hockey, There'll be 35, well, now there's, God, there's probably like 80 cameras in the hockey arena. Well, out of those like 80 cameras, only 10 of them are for actual networks like NBC or BBC or, you know, the networks around the world that pay a huge premium. The rest of those cameras are all controlled by the Olympic Broadcasting Service. And so they hire a ton of people from around the world to operate all those cameras and cable pool and just a million jobs. So they have a website that you can check out. I think it's like obs.tv. But then the other way is the in-game. The sport presentation is what it's called, or sport production internationally, what we do in game presentation, you know, jumbotron work. And so I started with Big Screen Network, which is now Van Wagner Sports and Entertainment, and they're a company that bids when an RFP goes out for next the South Korean Olympics, and they need, you know, jumbotron operators. So Panasonic provides a whole bunch of big screens, um, and don't call them Jumbotrons because that's Sony, but uh, <laughs> then they bid out, like the company from South Korea, they bid out, all right, we need a company to hire all these people that can do camera, can direct, can do all this stuff. So Van Wagner has been fortunate enough to do that a number of times. I think it's like 
six or seven Olympics now. Um, but it's not guaranteed because it's not like they're bidding or they're working for the IOC like every time uh, it's that they're bidding out for all these different companies at each of the different Olympics. So you don't know if they're going to get South Korea, then it's Tokyo, and then it's Beijing, the next three Olympics. And being in Asia, maybe they don't want to hire an American company. It just happens that way sometimes. But that's how I started. I started and uh, did Chiron um, for one Olympics for the Salt Lake Games and then started working other ones with them in a different technical capacity. But then the last option is working for the actual OCOG. And so that's what I did with Vancouver. So that's where you work for the company that runs the Olympics. And so that's a bunch of people that are all like basically, you know, they can get hired full-time or part-time or independent contractors. So I got hired and I moved out to Vancouver and lived out there. And they put me up and they gave us a car. And there was about six of us in this house that they rented. And we were all different producers for different venues. So I had ice hockey and then sledge hockey, which is the Paralympics. But then there was the curling venue, the ice skating venue producer. Um, what else did we have? The speed skating. And then i got to remember what everybody did. But all of us lived in that one house, and then we each had cars to go out to our venues. And then we were part of the venue team. So I was the producer like I am at a sports team in America. So it was like working for a sports team, basically. And we had 21 days of games, three games a day. So it's interesting because it was the most like my normal job day to day. But it's also you're working for a company that's going to close business. Like they're just going to cease to exist a month after the Paralympics is done. It's a bunch of people from all over the world working together. And like I was a American producer producing ice hockey in Canada, which, you know, is pretty much the sport of Canada. So... It just gets interesting because, you know, there are politics involved and other, a lot of other fun things. But, needless to say, still the best experience I've ever had in my sports career. Um, calling those games was unreal. Um, that 21 days just unbelievable for the Olympics and then Canada beating the U.S. in overtime in the gold medal game. Probably the best event I've ever worked and may ever work. Um, you know, holding down the goal horn for when the U.S. tied it with like 23 seconds to go and then holding down the goal horn when Canada won it. And, like, the whole country just erupted. You know, it was just amazing. That's awesome. Um, but then even, you know, the, the craziest thing is most people don't watch the Paralympics. But the Paralympians are the best athletes in the world. You know, those, those they don't like being called handicapped. But, you know, that's what most people would say is that it's, uh, you know, people with handicaps that compete in these Olympics. Well, sledge hockey is people that can't use uh, their legs. And so they're in a sled. And just... You know, one of them maybe missing one leg, missing both legs, you know, have no legs, like, or just stumps or different things. Like, it's just amazing what these people have had to go, go through. But then there are these amazing athletes. So that was even more amazing. And then the U.S. won the um, the men's sledge hockey, which was just really cool, too. But then uh, in women's, it was awesome to be a part of Canada-U.S., that rivalry, too. So, so yeah, it was more of a full-time gig. I was there, you know, working Monday through Friday in an office, the... Uh, OCOG for Vancouver and all these, they have an office where you go and you have a little desk and, you know, it's like a day-to-day job, like you're doing at your um, day-to-day gig right now in, like, minor league hockey, you know, it's like, it's the same type of thing, and then you have a game every night, well, we just would plan for the three months before we actually got to the games, and then we just worked our butt off from 5.30 a.m. when we had our first meeting um, with all of the staff to then we'd finish around 1.30 a.m. So, you know, it was just amazing experience. But uh, but definitely producing those games was uh, great just to, you know, be in charge of that type of venue. We had a ton of different employees from a ton of different countries. Um, you have, like, English and French and sometimes, you know, Italian, you know, Portuguese. I was just in Brazil and did the Rio Olympics. You know, you always have English and French, but then you have the host language, too, so you have Portuguese. And, you know, working in Brazil with a whole bunch of Portuguese-speaking people, you know, some of them didn't speak English, so you got to try and figure out how to work with people that, you know, may not speak your language. So it's, it's a unique and amazing experience every time. That sounds absolutely amazing. It, it definitely is. 
it's uh, it's a lot of work too. So you know, everybody always has the dream of working in the Olympics, but it's also a, a lot of work. But uh, but then you know, and then also there's a lot of you know, like people, my whole family thought I was going to die when I went to Brazil this summer. But you know, you go down there and it's fine. But you know, there were still like some people did get pickpocketed or something or whatever. But you know, that can happen if you're just a tourist somewhere, you know. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Like some people can't deal with that, but then you get people like there's a lot of Australians and like Kiwis, like New Zealanders that like that's their whole life is they just work Olympics. They move every two years to the next Olympics. So you know that's amazing. They're married with kids and yet they're moving every two years to a new country. Before we continue this fantastic conversation with Mr. Matt Coy, I have to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm talking Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Divergent, Percy Jackson, Aragon, so many great series and individual books as well. And to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download today. Uh, and interesting, and this could be a, a bad comparison, but you know, the Olympics are different countries, different nationalities, all coming together for one event. It's the way you put it. It's kind of that way for the production people as well. Like you saying, you have people who might be French or speak Portuguese, all kind of coming together to work the Olympics. So it's kind of like the Olympics for production too. It is very much so. I mean, at uh, in Brazil this last summer, I had uh, let's see here, uh, two Austrians, three Germans. Uh, three, three Americans, uh, one French, uh, what else? Two Japanese, and then I think everybody else was Brazilian or Argentinian. And so they spoke different dialects of Portuguese or Spanish. So it was just, you know, it was a mix. I mean, it was amazing. Um, Oh, just trying to make sure everybody understands what, all right, three, two, one, go video, or three, two, one, go dance team, you know, stuff like that means. Eventually it all comes together, but uh, but it does take a, a couple days of rehearsals all day and all night to try and get that all together. Uh, I can I can imagine so. Now, how did you get your job with the Padres? I was very fortunate, just uh, really was at the Cowboys and, had gone to school in San Diego at San Diego State and uh, worked, you know, interned and worked with the uh, Padres while I was at school and always wanted to get back because you know, all the places I've traveled in the world, San Diego is still the most beautiful place. Um, also a very expensive place, but it's, it's very beautiful. And um, so just, you know, for 20 years was trying to get back here and, and always had kept tabs on what was going on with the teams in town and had a good friend that worked for the team that uh, just gave me a call and said, hey, you know, we got a couple new bosses here and they're interested in bringing out some help for, you know, in-game. Uh, would you be interested? And I was like, hey, I'll always listen. I mean, you know, that's something I always tell all my employees is you never should say no. You Even if, you know, you're happy at your job and everything's great, you know, always, always listen. Always get an offer. Always check something out. Like, it doesn't need to be... Some people feel guilty, like, oh, I don't, I'm not even going to take this job. It's like, well, just listen. Like, it's good to know what else is out there and what the going rates are for, like, you know, your services and and what, you know, what it's maybe something that you would love to do. So so I took a listen, wasn't thinking of moving, and all of a sudden then I started thinking of moving. So, so we talked some more, and eventually they uh, flew my wife and I out and and convinced us that we should move to San Diego. So... So yeah, it, uh, it was exciting because they were building a brand new board um, that was about the size of you know uh, Jerry's one of Jerry's in the uh, center hung, um, and just redoing everything totally you know ramping up their game presentation and it was a fun challenge that seemed like it was going to be a great thing um, and I was taking over a bunch 
more sort of like I'm in charge of social media, broadcasting, creative design, um, you know, different departments here that I'd never been in charge of. So it really was a unique and exciting uh, thing to jump jump forward at. Now, kind of going through your uh, your role with the Padres, what is like say on a on a game day? What's your daily routine to to prep for a game? Well, as as you know, you gain or you climb the uh, the ladder no matter what in corporate America or in our sports world. Um, I've become more and more of a suit where I'm just in meetings all day, but. Um, but that's why I still love calling the show. Um, I may not call all the shows because I just there's a lot of a lot of games in baseball, um, as you well know. So um, luckily, I've had a, a good you know number two and number three that uh, definitely can uh, call a show, and so it's helped me by not being you know in the chair all the time. But I still love being in the chair, and so you know I'm in a lot of meetings, a lot of conference calls, a lot of fun things like that. But it's also a lot of prep working with my team. Um, I have uh, one of my uh, employees does the scripting with me, and so we'll go over that every day to make sure that, uh, you know, especially when I'm calling the show, that I know what's all going on and where I want stuff to go and what we're doing with sponsorship and activations, what we're doing with pregame, um, you know, check in with uh, different parts of, uh, you know, the game day experience with we have a uh, what we call the park of the park, which is connected inside the ballpark footprint but it's like a plaza where we have a big screen and a stage and bands and hosts and DJs and contests and sponsor activations and you know like beer night and wine night and cocktail night and different things like that so so making sure all that stuff's set up and ready to go um, but also you know overseeing social media I got to be on top of that all the time and then also with our creative design team and all the different flyers and invites and banners and stuff like that checking in with them all the time so so there's always something going on it's always interesting and and also once you're you know a manager a director a senior director a vp you know as you move up you're really managing people more than you know doing anything else in your job so it's it's that type of stuff where you're making sure everybody on your team is is good and they're you know being able to do their job to the best of their ability you basically wear a lot of hats Yes, that does happen. <laughs> uh, something that I, I'm curious about, as far as the like the game day stuff that you do, um, what kind of in between inning activities do you guys do? Because I, I I don't know how it is compared to to us, but we have you know a lot of sponsored in between inning activities. Like, or do you guys have any like in between inning traditions or things that you guys always do? Well, no, like the, every team tries that. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting because I've been to a number of places where, you know, I haven't worked in the Northeast except in a sort of contractor or with the production company that's now Van Wagner. Um, so a lot of those teams have been around forever, and they all have, you know, the Boston Red Sox have sw- sung Sweet Caroline forever. And, um, you know, there's just different things that, some of those teams that have been around forever do, and every other team tries to mimic them. So I've been places where I've been asked, hey, you know, we need a song just like the Boston Red Sox. What can everybody sing along to? And so we try different things, and sometimes something sticks, and other times you just keep trying. But um, but anyway, yes, we do have a ton of sponsored stuff. Um, you know, there's <laughs> it's amazing. Um, what sponsorship can sell and then just drop on your uh, desk and go, here you go. It's like, all right, that's not going to work. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, our job to make it work as best we can. But then also, you know, I'm of the mindset, you know, you can't always say yes. you got to say no sometimes. Otherwise, you're just going to get walked over at all times. So, you know, if it doesn't work within our framework of what our show is and what we want it to be, you know, I'll say no, and I'll say, you know, we got to go back to the drawing board on this. Like, you know, we you got to work with me on things. So that really, you know, lets them know we're not just going to be doing whatever they feel like. It's like this has got to be a collaborative process. So um, we don't have a, a race yet of, like, the, you know, sausage races or the president's race. Um, you know, we haven't really got a sing-along song. Um, you know, the team's traded so many people every year that they never really built a lot of traditions except for Trevor Hoffman always came in as a closer and he was here forever to uh, Hell's Bells 
so that song we can't play anymore um, unless it's with him. And hopefully he goes in the Hall of Fame this year. But but it's like, you know, that was probably the only tradition the Padres have had for quite a long time. So it's, all right, what can we try? What can we start? What can we think? So we're always trying, um, if if it's sponsored or unsponsored. But, uh, but yes, trust me, we do have a lot of sponsored stuff. And some of it's still really tough. Like, you're like, that doesn't engage the fans. i got to make that better. But sometimes, you know, it comes from up above, up high, that that's what you're going to do, and you just got to do it. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting you bring up the, you know, you, you try different things to, to see if they stick. And, you know, the, the Wahoos, the team that I work for, has only been around since 2012. And in 2013, we started this thing called the Roach Run sponsored by like a local pest control place called Critter Getter. And what it is, is this guy or girl dresses up in a roach costume and they'll be in the right field area. And, uh, you know, our PA guy will do the read, you know, it's time for the, the roach run sponsored by Critter Getter. All right, fans, that pesky cockroach has made it back, made his way back on the field. Let's release the children, and kids can line up at the right field, like, gate entrance, and sometimes on Saturdays it'll be, like, over 200. We'll actually run across the field and try to catch the roach. I'm speechless. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Just just the fact, like, all right, that's that's awesome. It's a fun contest, but the fact that it's a roach is just amazing. And it's... It makes for a really cool visual, and you know, it, it can be a little nerve-wracking on our end because we're hoping that the roach never gets caught. But this this past year, for the first time, he actually got caught, and the place erupted, like they went insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's so it, cool. That's it was hilarious. it was it was pretty nuts. But you know, it's just it's things like that. You never really know what's going to work. Like I, I never would have thought, you know, oh a running cockroach would be like the most popular thing that we do. So no, I, I totally understand the whole trying different things and seeing if it sticks. One yeah, thing, I think, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, you know, something so funny that probably the best game presentation I've ever seen in person was at the St. Paul Saints. And that's the independent league team that the uh, Beck family owns and Mike Beck runs it. And, you know, I mean, you know, they go back where, you know, at the White Sox days, they had a the midget pinch hitter and, like, all the different things they did and fireworks or whatever, all the crazy stuff they tried. But they're willing to try anything, and it's just really cool. It's also the independent league, so there's really no rules ever. But, um, you know, just seeing they have, like, 32 mascots, like, different things, I mean, stuff like that. Like, you know, willing being willing to try is great when you have bosses that let you do that and, and, you know, your your roach thing is amazing. And I think probably one of the things that stuck out to me as a kid, too, just my first understanding of what game ops was or, you know, game presentation. I grew up having a season tickets to the San Francisco Giants, and they had the first un-mascot. And I don't know if you ever heard of it, but uh, they had um, the Crazy Crab, which was a crab mascot. But they made it as a mascot that they wanted everybody to hate. So That's awesome. the campaign, like even the commercials, like told people that they should hate this mascot. And like, like we'd throw stuff at it. Like all the fans would throw like <laughs> beer and like, you know, like, I mean, it was like, it got beat up. The players would hit it and stuff. Like whoever was in that costume, like, you know, they were hardcore. Like to be the mascot that's supposed to be hated, like it's just amazing. But it was just, it only lasted, I think like two years yet it's, like one of the most amazing things I remember, you know, growing up, just like that was really cool game presentation, just unique and interesting. And it's like, hey, they tried it. <laughs> there you go. The unmascot. That's that's fantastic. That's genius, actually. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing that I, I did want to ask you, you know, being a, a production guy in the sports world, this can be. You know, a funny story, or it can be like something where just things went to you know where in a handbasket. What's the funniest or craziest sports production story that you can remember? See, I don't usually keep the funniest with me. I always, I always bust out the uh, the hitting the goal horn, um, but because uh, it's just such an uh, you know iconic moment, it was so amazing. 
but um, I guess there was a funny tidbit to that in that I had worked in hockey before, and I had always, you know, I had hit a goal horn before, but, you know, so being the one of the few Americans in that control room and running, you know, running that crew also, you know, I got some little jabs here and there from all the Canadians that worked for me about how Canada was going to win and not USA and, you know, whatever, and, and we lost in the earlier game. And so that game, especially, everybody was all, you know, the gold medal game was huge. So the guys were really being talkative about it and stuff. It was pretty funny. But, you know, especially when it looked like they were going to win. Well, so when the USA tied it up, you know, there's 28 seconds or 23 seconds, i got to remember. But I held that horn longer than I'd ever held any goal horn because I was just like, I was so pumped up and like excited, but I was still trying to, you know, be professional and do my job. But then also I was like, you know, sort of sticking it to the Canadians, like, oh yeah, we tied it up. No way. So, but I I was also calling the show, like I was saying, you know, standby replay, you know, whatever, doing all this different stuff. But I held the horn so long, it ran out of air. Oh no. You only knew that because it was an American goal in Canada. So you wouldn't usually, like if Canada, when they scored, I held it down forever too, and it probably ran out, but you couldn't hear it because all the Canadians were cheering so loud. You don't hear it like sort of meekly die at the end. Well, at the American one, it was like, you know, just holding it down. And then it was like, it just sort of died. And I was like, oh, what just happened? (laughs) Like, holy crap, like, is it out? And... Luckily, it wasn't, and it, it you know worked again for when Canada scored. But but that was definitely interesting. I'd, I'd never you know you like hit the horn and then maybe hit it like one, two, three times or something. You know even if you scored like five goals, you usually don't hit it like five times. A lot of most teams won't go that far because it's just really loud. But just you know holding it down that long where it just like just keeps going. Um, so that's maybe my you know funniest story. I just there's probably other things. I mean. And there's definitely a million times where stuff just went, to, you know, down the tubes. Um, I think one of the more interesting things was I was on, uh, I was with Big Screen Network at the time, and uh, my boss and I were traveling with the uh, AVP, the Association of uh, Volleyball Professionals, it's a beach volleyball tour. So for 18 weekends out of the year, yes, it was a cool gig, but yes, it was still work. We traveled which, with the beach volleyball tour around the United States. And it wasn't just all beaches, though. Like, we played in Cincinnati, where it was a tennis complex, and they brought in sand from Florida to, like, build all the eight beach volleyball courts. Um, But there was a mass, like, a big grandstand um, arena beach volleyball court that was for all the big matches in the finals. And we had a big screen, and then we had, like, you know, a DJ and music, PA announcer, host, stuff like that. So it was a big show. But then there was the seven other courts all around that was where a lot of other people played to get to the final, you know. Well, so we toured around, and it was at a lot of beaches like Miami or San Diego or, you know, Galveston or something or whatever. Um, but we had a click effects um, before there was crossfire. It was just a standard definition click effects in a road case. And, I mean, that thing traveled with us everywhere. Well, eventually, you know, in the heat and the sand, things can go wrong, especially with computers. And so it was like, right before the final of one of the matches at one of the weekends, and i got to say, I think we're in Miami, and the click effects dies. And we had taken it apart before, but it was like, it was dead. It just didn't do anything. It was like, what are we going to do? Like, we're about to start the, you know, final match. Like, we need our videos. That, that's our whole playback. So we ripped, <laughs> and we ripped, we unscrewed, you know, the whole mainframe, um, the tower, and, like, took it out and took it apart. Like, we had computer parts everywhere. And trying to figure out what was wrong, and it ended up, we couldn't, we called click effects, run with support, we're trying everything. It's like, finally, we just put it all back together. Well, it had just overheated because there was a lot of sand that had gotten into the uh, the fan. So, wow. like, you know, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, we could have done the finals without, you know, the videos. It was fine. Like you just use then the DJ and the host and the camera. We had like two cameras or one, two cameras sometimes. But, but you know, it's like we had an open video and the headshots for the players and like, you know, Spike and all these cool interstitials. So it was just so funny though, because we're up on the stage too. So like 
it was us, the DJ, the host, and then for the finals, a lot of the players that didn't like you know make it that far would hang out with us up on the stage. So there's you know, but it's also the stages right there on the court, like and all the people on the stands can see the stage. So if anybody's looking at us, which a lot of people were, like as we're getting ready and they're warming up on the stand, you know, we got this computer all spread out all over this table and and you know it's just sand everywhere and like we're getting like like where does anybody have um the air guns you know the little like the clean your keyboard like we like scrounged up three of those and we're blowing out air just to get all the sand out of every piece of the computer so you know just when stuff goes wrong and it was like it always goes back to um you know those type of stories uh one of my first mentors was like you know in our business something's always bound to go wrong as long as you stay calm and you think it through, everything can always get fixed usually because it's all based on computers, but it's like you just got to go through the process. Just go, is it this? No. Is it this? No. Is it this? Yes. Okay. We'll fix this. So, you know, it was some people go nuts and get crazy. Some people start yelling and screaming and some people throw things, but it's like, you know, if you can just do it, just dig through the problem and get it done, um, even in crazy situations like that. Yeah, I I tell people when things like that go wrong, there's yelling about it and throwing things. It's it's not going to fix the issue. The only thing that's going to fix the issue is if you sit down and figure it out. But um, I would like to ask uh, last question in closing. What is one piece of advice you could give to anyone who wants to work in sports production? Well, really, I think the one piece of advice that I give to all my employees and any intern or anybody that ever, like, you know, reaches out or anybody at Video TX, like I offered up to everybody, like, you know, really, I think the best piece of advice I can give is sort of, you know, the two things I feel, though, unfortunately, I can't say one. It's it's sort of like a two-parter in that as long as you work and give 110%, you're going to get noticed that you're a hard worker. That's what, you know, any business needs. But our business especially, and and there's definitely other businesses like this, but our business, because it is sort of small, even though it's growing exponentially every year with all the new colleges and minor leagues and even high schools that have big screens and other things, um, even around the world too, other leagues that never had it, um, is just network. you got to network, and it's so easy in today's world. And it's more than just, you know, a LinkedIn or a Facebook or whatever. It's like making sure you got the email and the cell phone and you reach out and thank somebody and, you know, and, and doing what you, you know, did is reach out after the conference that I spoke at and chatting and then, you know, um, doing something else that, uh, you know, it's now it's, you know, we've got a connection and it's like you can reach out to me again in like three years and, and it's like, hey, could, uh, you know, I get a recommendation on this or, hey, could you help me, like, you know who's here or what I'm doing or, you know, just that type of contact is a lot better than, oh, yeah, I met them once or I, I linked in and, like, I sent them a LinkedIn message that, you know, is because I know their second connection, you know, so it's it's stuff like that where that can get laziness too and that if you're not giving 110% while you're working and then you're not giving 110% networking, you know, you might not go too far because, you know, when I have a job open, nowadays I'm getting 700 to 1,000 applicants. And if if you know somebody that I know, if you know somebody that knows somebody that I know that knows, hey, Matt's there, and, you know, I think the email is at padres.com. Why don't you try, like, you know, mcoy or matt.coy or, you know, whatever, and then you send me a note besides applying online, you know, or you have somebody I know send me a note saying, hey, I don't know how they work, but, you know, I know that he's a good person, she's a great worker, Um you know, it's it's something that stands out because now when I'm going through those 800 applicants, I'm like, all right, well, I'll save them and put them in the take another look at column um, because, you know, that's the biggest thing. Everybody knows everybody in our business, so you're bound to know somebody that knows somebody for where you want to get or what you want to do. And if you're, you know, got a good persona, you positive person and you work hard, like, you know, you're going to go far. So just uh, keep after it and Hopefully, uh, you know, eventually you'll end up in the dream job, whatever that may be. Very good advice. Well, Matt, I would like to say uh, in closing, thank you very much for taking the time to do the interview. It was great talking with you. Well, thank you for having me, Derek. Uh, You know, I uh, definitely will have to try and make it out to Pensacola and see a Blue Wahoos game so I can see a bunch of kids running after a cockroach. 
But, uh, you know, if I don't get to see that, maybe I'll uh, see you in your next stop or wherever you may be. But, you know, and for everybody else listening, like, uh, you know, definitely my pleasure. It was uh, always good to talk about our business. And, um, you know, just it's a, it's a great little uh, industry that we're in, and it's a lot of fun. My thanks again to Matt for taking the time to do that wonderful interview. It's always interesting to hear other people's stories who also work in the world of sports production uh, since we did the interview, Matt actually accepted a job as the executive vice president slash GM of Game Changer MVP Productions. So good luck to Matt in his new endeavors. I know he'll do fantastic at it. For next week's show, this is a big one. Uh, for those who live in the Pensacola area, we have Pensacon coming up in less than a month. And next week, you'll be hearing from a Pensacon guest and also former Mighty Morphin Power Ranger, the Green Ranger himself, Mr. Jason David Frank. That's right, Jason David Frank will be on the show next week to talk Pensacon, uh, his time on the show, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, his martial arts, and so much more. A really, really fun conversation that I had. Be sure to come back next week and check out that episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, and also leave a five-star review. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. On Twitter, my personal page is at Derek underscore Diamond. That's D-E-R-E-K. And the show page is at D Diamond Podcast. Also, a new addition to the social media aspect of this show, I'm now on Instagram. Just search for D Diamond Podcast on Instagram. You can find uh, a minute previews of upcoming episodes, uh, just random posts that I do throughout the week. Uh, Instagram's fun. It's, uh, it's very different than all other social media platforms, but it's a lot of fun. So definitely go check me out uh, on Instagram. And I believe that does it, so enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Tuesday. to a Nerd Cave Network production. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. The Unicorn Wranglers are very important to this podcast. They're a local indie rock band based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and they supply the theme music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. And the song you heard today is D-Rock from their upcoming album, Thunder Snow, which will be out very, very soon. But you can check out some of their past music on Bandcamp. Just go over to Bandcamp.com and search for the Unicorn Wranglers. And you can find Murder Mystery Night, 95 Flannel, and their EP Atomics for free. That's my favorite four-letter word, free. You can also follow them on social media. They're on Twitter and Instagram at Wranglers. Search for the Unicorn Wranglers on Facebook and finally, be sure to check out their website, unicornwranglers.com.